On today's steamy episode, we talk dream sex in the dream lab, the intricacies of hugging, and I forget how to pronounce O'Neill or not, despite having said it correctly all last episode. Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. yeah. What's my thesis? I'm Seth Lauer. And this is Javier Proenza. We're two Los Angeles-based artists who meet every week to share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldviews through research and ask, what's my thesis? Again, time traveling on what's my thesis. We just saw the Super Bowl. And I think in this case, it's okay because we're not really Super Bowl kind of people. And that was sort of the uh, nice thing about our Super Bowl party, the one that you hosted, our... The gesture you're doing right now, I assume that's... It's just an Italian gesture. international sign for snacks. <laughs> no, it's the, it, it, it's, it's the what? Okay. It's like, what are you talking about? Just to me, it looks like a the, palm full of nuts and you're shaking them. Oh, it's more like all of my fingers are touching each other, including my thumb and there's a flick of a wrist. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, ma che cazzo dici? So the thing that was fun about that for me is that I got to uh, be the meat delivery guy at your house. Seth is a vegetarian who has, for various reasons, that will become revealed through episodes because he just can't stop being himself <laughs> <laughs> as much as i may try <laughs> we're both trapped in the same trap <laughs> so i brought him fish tacos and it definitely felt like i was the guy bringing in the illicit substance to the party his wife was there and she's also a vegetarian. And so she got to sample a little bit of the fish tacos. They're very good fish tacos from a place here in Lincoln Heights. There's also another one. I'm going to give them a plug. Uh, Do it. El Siete Mares is uh, the spot. Very good fish tacos, even better ceviche. Is it El Siete or Los Siete? I know, right? It's El Siete Mares. Huh. Okay. So it's the Seven Seas. Instead of huh. the, the seven, seven seas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. It's just a weird Spanish thing, dude. Okay. Yeah. Those were tasty. Thanks for bringing those. Do I owe you anything for those? Uh, just a hug. Okay. Which I know is really... It was like, a little forced last time. But. No, well, th- I think what's nice is the exchange rate between hugs, because in my currency, hugs are like normal to get a Seth hug. Ooh, and it's, to get a committed Seth hug, that's like that's like the pound. <laughs> <laughs> but the it gold was standard, you, the gold the standard. gold standard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, you know what? I think it's more like the de, 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 
Boers, who's the who's the diamond people, the one that hoard all the diamonds? You have it in you to hug. You just you just are selective with them. No, I'm a I'm a reciprocal hugger. No. People just don't no, know I've, that. I fucking hugged you, dude. <laughs> you hug like the whitest guy of all the whitest guys. No, I'm not saying I have like the physicality that evenly re- oh, reflects. No, no. Hugging back is not the same. <laughs> like, it's not a hug. Just because you pat me on the shoulder <laughs> when we hug. Well, this is news to me. <laughs> <laughs> I tell everybody about the way you hug. <laughs> And how it's evolved since we've known each other. This is hilarious. You don't know, like, things, the way that I relate to you sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, Seth doesn't hug. I think it goes into that thing I was saying earlier where the dynamic on this show is I make you uncomfortable with my feelings. Or yeah. with feelings, not with my feelings. Wait, but is this a thing? Like, people are going around saying I don't No, hug? I am. And do they agree with you? No, they laugh. <laughs> like it's a bit that I do because if but, this is something that people have noticed then I feel no 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 you, it would, people would notice it in Miami but you live in Los Angeles so people okay. are just like oh this guy's from Michigan this is how he hugs it's a Michigan I thought it would be just a California thing like everyone's a little elite. I think no I, I no let me back up a little more there's a guy I used to know who was a clown wait <laughs> And he would walk around on stilts. I have no fucking idea what you're talking about and how this, this ties into you. This other. one time. I'm so excited. This is like in certain circles. This has to do with hugging, I just realized. You hugged a fucking giant. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. What if I did? I no, mean, he went for a fist bump, but I anticipated a handshake, so I just grabbed his fist and shook it. Are you <laughs> like the doorknob? Kind you, of? Do you realize how far in the continuum you are from my affection? <laughs> <laughs> like you, we were t- we went from hugging to you hugging like pa- rock paper scissoring someone. <laughs> were you gonna be? Is this a story about how you won? Were you gonna be jealous if you found out that I've been giving like really huge bear hugs to everybody? <laughs> to every clown I see. I, no, no. I'm going to be very okay with that. <laughs> I you. mean, I might hug you less. <laughs> Okay, Seth, so we're still recording, right? Yep. It is lucid dreaming. We might be in a dream. We might have a false awakening. Oh, I'm going to address that. Seth just just pinched himself like that was a way to assess whether or not he was dreaming, and we will find out. No, that's not why I did it. Oh, why did you you just uh, have a fetish for like self-pinching? I just couldn't believe we're here again. But then why would you pinch yourself to see if you were dreaming? See if it's real. Yeah. No, not okay. dreaming, but... Real. Real. Okay. What else could it be if it wasn't a dream and it was real? A hallucination? Virtual reality? 
Oh, that's interesting. No, because this, I like this is cool. It's it's interesting because that adds. We're talking about consciousness today. <clears throat> I mean, we're gonna start off very sexy, but then we're gonna talk about consciousness. So the last episode we left off talking about the experiments that were carried out, and we're gonna get into we're going to follow up with those the last one was uh, singing and counting and we saw how the activity was correlating to the area of the brain that it should when you're singing or counting which are activate different parts of the brain Mm -hmm. right and left hemisphere so like i said we're starting sexy we're starting with dream sex and the we, uh, if you remember, it's the psychophysiological uh, correlation between dream experience and polygraph data that they collect from EKGs, EOGs, and EEGs. EOGs record the visual, uh, or sorry, not the visual, the REM. I say visual because REM correlates to your dream gaze. But this, so, this isn't just the male dream gaze. It could be... Uh, no, this isn't like a feminist dream gaze. Yeah. This is just like... And I I, I, I I use feminist to identify it, not to dismiss it. <laughs> <laughs> there There is another context for dream gaze. And that's all we're talking about. <laughs> I'm so defensive. Fuck. <laughs> the tables have turned. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> now you... Oh, I maybe shouldn't have set that tone <laughs> on your episodes. <laughs> but it's fun. It's contentious. All right. So dream sex. As you can imagine, sex is a popular activity among lucid dreamers, especially in the case of women. Yeah, I think it's actually interesting that in a book in 1985, these descriptions were happening. So Patricia Garfield said two-thirds of her lucid dreams involved a little hanky-panky. That's two-thirds. So that's quite a bit. And half of those, so one-third, ended in orgasm. In The Pathway to Ecstasy, uh, she says lucid dream orgasms are of profound intensity, with a totality of self that is only sometimes felt in the waking state, bursting into soul and body-shaking explosion. LaBerge received similar reports from female oneironauts. 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 I'm trying to remember how we decided together, and you probably don't remember. So he received similar reports from female oneironauts. (laughs) Oneironauts. Yeah, it's Oneironauts. It's not Oneironauts. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which one it's not so I can remember which one it is. Okay, now I lost my place. Just remember nay as in no. Yeah, but nay is the wrong one. It's Onai. That's what I'm saying. So nay as in nay. Yeah, but then if I remember that... Nay as in like the moment Dude, I have a hard enough time reading laboratory. <laughs> not as laboratory. So, um... He wanted to know if luc- if sex in lucid dreams is accompanied by changes similar to those that take place during sex while awake. And this guy, Walter Greenfield, who was doing psychophysiological research on human sexual response, helped him out. We decided to work with women first, because obviously if you're going to deal with sex, like, and you're two dudes, I mean, like, do you really want to? Wait, let me back you up for a second. You said talking about normal 
activity during waking mm-hmm. would that be like apologizing or <laughs> no it was the female orgasm not the male okay. <laughs> um so yeah so basically he wanted to know if the same changes happen and like i said they decided to work with women but according to him it's because they reported orgasm in lucid dreams much more frequently than men so he asked several female oneironauts fuck <laughs> so he asked several female oneironauts if they would be oneironauts <laughs> if they would be willing to try which is an interesting conversation to have with people and i'm sure it was very professional but i can't get away from the whole like uh hey can we watch on the polygraph while uh you orgasm in your dreams is like a interesting proposition i don't even know how i would broach that you the first thing would probably be just making it known that you have a polygraph (laughs) (laughs) i got a polygraph you got dreams Let's work together. <laughs> I I just assumed it was going to be a, hey, I'm an Oni or not. You're an Oni or not. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. So, <clears throat> Miranda was the first to succeed. And if you guys recall from last episode, the requisites to record a dream are... EEG, EOG, and EKG, I've already described them earlier. In this case, they decided to be a little bit more thorough and got 16 channels of psychophysiological data. So that's like (laughs) plus 13. And and what was their explanation for being a little more thorough on this one? Uh, I guess they really just wanted to know. Okay. For scientific reasons. (laughs) For scientific reasons. Yes. So they got respiration rate, heart rate, vaginal EMG, and vaginal pulse amplitude. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, how do you have to wear one of those like hairnet things? With (laughs) like like on on your pubic hair? The shower caps. The like. shower caps. Yes, that the, the I I I think that's probably one through three of the channels of data being recorded is coming from those areas. No, what okay. they do is they put sensors on your eyes, remember, or on your temples, to yeah. to to get the eyes. Then they do the, uh, the I think the EKG or EEG. I forget which one it is. No, EEG is electroencephalogram. Yeah. So the what one of them is for the brain, and then the other one is for something else. It's for mu- muscular tension. Yeah. Uh, but this one takes uh, vaginal pulse amplitude, which is fun to say. So I said it again. But I know we've been having some fun. Laberge is a scientist. He is a professional. There have but, been no, no there have been no allegations. There's no butt to this sentence. Can we make one now? No. <laughs> and, and he didn't grab any butts. So the last two measures came from a comfortable vaginal probe inserted in privacy. <laughs> it was in privacy, you Seth. You're so good at selling that. <laughs> How much did they pay you? <laughs> anyway, 
So when women become sexually aroused, their vaginal pulse amplitude shows a significant increase. And that's what they expected to find uh, during lucid dreams. They had Miranda signal four times with her eyes using regular eye movements uh, or standard is what they call them. So I'm assuming that's a thing. The four signals were when she realized she was dreaming, when she began sexual activity in the dream, when she experienced orgasm, and when she felt herself waking up. So Miranda had a three-minute lucid dream. In her report, she said that she seemed to be lying in bed, still awake, with someone's hand rubbing her neck. Recognizing the probability of someone being in her room, she suspected she was dreaming and tested her state by trying to float into the air. And I just want to point out that that is a person that doesn't listen to true crime podcasts at all because (laughs) the the assumption that's like someone that is very comfortable with the idea that that they're not going to get murdered Mm because that's a fucking terrifying dream. So she flew through the evening air free as a cloud. As soon as she found herself floating, she made the agreed-upon signal as she floated through the bedroom wall. Finding no one in the polygraph room to fuck, she... <laughs> that, that's not a quote. <laughs> uh, she went through the, wi- the unopened window outside. She found herself floating over a campus that looked both like Oxford and Stanford. So she's into the... She's a saposexual. She's into the academic type, which is cool. We're into that. Sapo? Saposexual? That means that they're attracted to intelligence. Oh, okay. Um, Hmm. So, she flew through the evening air, free as a cloud, stopping now and then to admire the beautiful stone carvings on the walls. She spotted a group of people, apparently visitors touring the campus. So, swooping down to the group, she picked up the first man within reach. She tapped him on the shoulder, and he came toward her as if knowing exactly what she was expected to do. She signaled marking the beginning of sexual activity with her eyes. She says that she... (laughs) Here's a fun typo. She says that she must have already been excited, but it must is the word. Hmm. What would Freud say about that? Uh, My fingers are phallic and can't type. So she says that... (laughs) Did she raise the mast? (laughs) Let's cut all of this out. (laughs) And then what happened? (laughs) Well, this is kind of sexy. So she says that she must have already been excited from flying, from the flying, from the flying, from the flying. From what? (laughs) From the flying. (laughs) Because after only 15 seconds, she felt as if she were about to climax. She signaled a third time, marking her experience of orgasm as the final waves began to die down. When she woke up, she said the dream orgasm had been neither long nor intense, but was quite definitely a real orgasm. The graph of vaginal blood flow appears to correspond with Miranda's report. Her respiration rate, vaginal muscle activity, and vaginal blood flow all reached their highest levels during the dream sex. However, her heart showed only a moderate increase in rate. All the data matches those typically observed in waking orgasm, and the lucid dream orgasm was described as not being very strong. Can you imagine if it had been a strong one? I thought she was saying that they're usually stronger. Well, yeah, I think it's... I think his point is that it's like... 
we got this data on this shitty orgasm. Can you imagine how oh, much more? I see. Like this was a subdued orgasm. Mm-hmm. This provided the first evidence to support the reports of vividly realistic sex and lucid dreams. After studying women, then these guys remembered that, oh, yeah, like, there's a lot of guys having nocturnal emissions all over the world and maybe studying the psychophysiological relationship between dream sex and men is interesting to explore as well. Sure. Um, I mean, you might as well. You've got the yeah. equipment there. Yeah. Well, they actually need a new equipment, which is what's exciting about this. Um, having recorded impressive female sex res- responses, they wondered next what males might show. Although may- men reported orgasmic lucid dreams less frequently than women, Randy... Oh, Tell me his name's Randy. His name is Randy. But act surprised. <laughs> his name is not actually Randy. <laughs> it's randy with quotations so basically they having seen this then they decided that they might like look at men and then although men reported all this kind of lucid dream stuff as well it's less frequent in men than in women which i think is actually kind of interesting but he got a guy to do it randy was the first one that volunteered and successfully achieved it hmm. and the way he puts it is randy a first-rate O'Neill or not volunteered for this perilous mission <laughs> uh-huh. and that's his joke not mine so they collected the same data as with miranda except randy got a penile strain gauge a loop of flexible tubing filled with mercury about an inch in diameter the device generally used to measure sexual response so, before going to sleep, Randy put his penile strain gauge around the base of his penis. And as the strain gauge expands during erection, its electrical resistance increases, allowing polygraphic monitoring of penile tumescence, which is enlargement, as all of our well educated. <laughs> classy enlargement. <laughs> Um, but basically what the, uh, strain gauge, what the penile strain gauge is, is, is basically, it's like a potentiometer. You know what that is, right? That's like, uh, a no- like the knobs the, and when you turn them, they increase the resistance to electricity and that's how they work, which makes me really excited because now I want to build a, uh, guitar pedal that has a penile strain gauge as an expression pedal. <laughs> so I can just wow with my dick as I play guitar by myself and in shame. Uh, that's I, I feel like explore that's and expand, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge. You feel like what? <laughs> that's what guitarists have been doing. The whole time. <laughs> You're probably right. LeBurge points out that although REM periods are normally associated with spontaneous erections of varying degrees, which is commonly known as morning wood and all of those. uh, (laughs) I love that that amused you so much. (laughs) Was it that much of a leap between the the highbrow to the the lowbrow? Yeah, I was just being lulled into this kind of like academic language. (laughs) 
Awesome. But wait, are there other terms for that? Yes, I'm sure, but like I can't. We can't get into that. Although REM periods are normally associated with spontaneous erections of varying degrees, we hope to observe further increase during dream sexual activity, which, if you're listening closely, means that they were hoping for a really massive erection, as opposed to just like the traditional morning wood erection. Okay. And after a few nights of practice, I don't know what that means, (laughs) it was on for Randy. So I guess he tried to like lucid dream. A few yeah, times. Okay. And then finally one, he was like randy enough to get randy. A bizarre detail made me realize that I was dreaming. I made an eye movement, then proceeded through the roof flying Superman style. Having landed in the backyard of a house, I wished for a girl. A teenager walked out of the patio door, followed closely by her mother. For some reason, the mother seemed to know me, and with a wink sent her daughter out to play with me. We went to the backyard, and I signaled the beginning of foreplay. It's not the way I thought it was going to go. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's why I was hoping for a reaction. This is a weird dream. Okay. Wait, is the foreplay the... Weird thing? Out of place weird thing? Yes, the foreplay. It's totally the foreplay. Not the fact that a teenager and a mother and the... But then when I reread this, I was like, okay trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt because I don't always like to feel creeped out when I'm reading stuff. And I was like, oh, he sent the daughter out to play with me. So maybe the daughter and him were also, like maybe he was also a teenager in the dream. Or a dog. (laughs) You're the freak here. (laughs) Randy's fine. (laughs) Okay. Not that we're against bestiality. If you're into bestiality, we don't want to offend you. We can't afford to lose any Explore and expand, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, (laughs) The next sentence is, I felt myself about to climax and closed my eyes in ecstasy as I had the orgasm and again signaled with my eyes. I don't know if he needs to signal with his eyes. (laughs) No, the signal is for the polygraph. Okay. Okay, I see. So... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I really am worried now that <laughs> other listeners don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> but hopefully we Wait, can edit it. Why again? Wait, they thought he'd be lying about it? No, the signals are... Wait, okay, back up. Do polygraphs measure eye movements always? No. Polygraph means... This is from last episode, so and we recorded that a while ago, yeah. so it's fair for you to, to forget. Polygraph is any roll of paper that records data with ink. Oh, okay. Like that with that pen and I'm doing a hand gesture that of the the needle flicking back and forth. Uh-huh. And or a, or a scolding depending on you, Well, you interpret things <laughs> through your own filter, Seth. You go ahead. <laughs> the eye signals are to show up on the polygraph so that they can correlate the dream report to the physiological information. Sure. Yeah. And we talked about last episode how it's not the mo- the ideal way to collect data for the scientific method, but it's the best way to validate subjective information mm-hmm. about the dream experience okay. and study it. So that's what the eye signals are. <clears throat> I just realized it is this great conceptual art piece where they write scrolls by... Yeah, that's interesting. Right? I mean, this classic form 
Yeah, no, it is. It is actually. I kind of wish. I, I kind of wish you hadn't thought of that because I deal with scrolls and shit. You motherfucker. <laughs> I'm gonna definitely cut this out or keep it in, and I'll still use it. <laughs> okay. When I opened my eyes, I seemed to have awakened from a wet dream. I was very excited about the accomplishment of my experiment, then realized it was only a false awakening. And at this, I actually woke up. Although I found I had not actually ejaculated, I still felt the tingling in my spine and marveled at the reality that the mind can create. So these are basically the same results as Miranda, with an exception that we'll talk about in a second. But during the 30 seconds of sexual activity, are you listening? 30 seconds. That's like, wait, how many nanoseconds? (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to be like... That's not normal. <laughs> Post mature ejaculation. Wait, wait. How many? How many hours is that? That's, that's the only way I can relate. <laughs> Seth is legendary. It's so one twentieth, one hundred twentieth of a hour. <laughs> He's also good at math. Like Miranda, his respiration rate reached its maximum for the REM periods. And I just, I'm smiling already from this next sentence because I, <laughs> I just like saying penal strain gauge. <laughs> I just like the idea of penal strain. <laughs> it's like, if there's anything that isn't burdened by strain, it's my penis. <laughs> it's like the most privileged muscle in my body. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad we have li- You've experience. never had a kidney stone. It has yeah. some pretty dirty jobs. I mean, yeah. I really don't want to have to fucking get defensive over my penis, but no complaints. No complaints. His penile strain gauge indicated that his erection <laughs> was off the charts. <laughs> Close. Can you do that with like a hmm, his penile? Hmm. His. Pe- <laughs> Push up your tape glasses while you're saying. His penile strain gauge indicated that his erection began shortly before the onset of the REM period, but reached its maximal level. It is weird that he. <laughs> I think I would. I I would like to see Randy redo his. Dream report? No. <laughs> like, have that same experience, that same dream, but then just, like, I think there would be details that would be a little different. So his penile strain gauge indicated that his erection began shortly before the onset of the REM period. What all this data says is that they got the massive erection they were hoping for when they put the penile strain gauge on his dick. Conclusion. Conclusion. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> Massive erection. <laughs> successful. <laughs> However, remarkably, a slow detumescence period began almost immediately following the dream orgasm, which, if you've had morning wood, you know, you wake up with that shit, right? Detumescence happens. The implication is that in some respects, lucid dream sex has a po- as powerful an impact on the dreamer's body as the real thing. But this may vary from dreamer to dreamer and from one sex to another. And by one sex, it doesn't mean like one sexual activity. He means one... I didn't change it to gender because I know it gets yeah. 
tricky nowadays. Yeah. Wait, just quickly, detumescence. Like y- the opposite of tumescence. <laughs> okay, got it. Okay. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, Your hand gesture was good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. People at home didn't have it. Just Google it. All right. So uh, what he means by from one sex to another is like that while Miranda experienced vaginal muscle contractions during lucid dream orgasm, Randy did not experience the corresponding pelvic muscle contractions. Hmm. In lucid dreams, you often think you've had a wet dream, but it turns out to be a false awakening. Hmm. Wet dreams are not always sexual, but they often are. And so what LeBurge is saying here is that what he believes is wet dreams are sensory information being incorporated into the dream state. Whereas when you have a lucid dream and you get involved in erotic activity, the erotic dream comes first and then you have the orgasm inside your brain. And the impulses descending from the brain to the genitals are not strong enough to actually trigger genital ejaculatory reflex, which is it. It we're like I think that a lot of this experimentation is about finding, and what I find interesting and why I'm sharing it is finding that fine line between. First of all, the last episode we talked about how when you are dreaming, you have. A sensory experience as real as actual activity. And basically what he's saying is first comes the ejaculation, then comes the dream in in a wet dream. Hmm. So lucid dreams are actually only wet in dream. And we've talked about how all of these things, the, all the correlations, the one thing that doesn't correlate is heart rate. During waking sexual activity, heart rate can double or triple. But it doesn't in lucid dreams, which is good because sex can be dangerous for people with heart problems. Dream sex appears to be completely safe for everyone. So anyway, what he's, what, why does this matter? We see that sex, singing, counting, breath, and dream time in a dream are the same as the real thing to your brain. Also, as a control, they had people do the tasks while awake and then imagine doing the tasks while awake. And this is this gets into some interesting evolutionary stuff about why we imagine things the way that we do, because what he's saying is that the polygraphs of the groups that imagine doing the tasks showed no consistent shifts in brain activity, which suggests that dreaming is more like actually doing than merely imagining. Why is that? Why isn't imagining as vivid? As your dreams. Why is this one thing that we do at nighttime when we're passed out? And it has to do with inhibit it with with what is being inhibited and what's not being inhibited by your body. Heart rate, as we talked about, is one of the things that's not uh, that 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 is being inhibited. It doesn't obviously you're not burning as much energy. Your your brain is having the same activity when you're having sex in a dream but you're physically not exerting as much energy, but your respiration rate goes up. So you don't necessarily need to breathe as much. So there, the body is selective in the experiential things that, or in the sensory input. 
and the physiological response to the dream that it's doing. And you're nodding. Say yes, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but what he says that images and memories are much less vivid than the, than the original perception. Otherwise, we would have difficulty in distinguishing inner from outer experiences, as sometimes happens with people that hallucinate. So mm-hmm. people that hallucinate do still have that very vivid experience of memory and imagination that we don't. If memories were as intense as sensory experience, hunters would not be able to differentiate between real lions and, and imagined remembered experiences with lions. Mm-hmm. And so you wouldn't know necessarily know, maybe you would be desensitized and you wouldn't run away from lions after a while mm. or because they weren't always a threat or maybe you couldn't tell the difference between an actual lion and one that you were remembering. So this is a very... What's interesting is that this is something that, like, what he's saying is that it's something that's selected through evolution. This discrepancy, the, the reason that imagination is not as intense in streams. So there's actually some value in being less intense and maybe less vivid and less mm, potentially accurate uh, or realistic. In recollection, yeah. <clears throat> but then... You have dreams and they stay just as vivid. So why has that stayed the same, right? And and I think that what he's basically saying is that at some point we all may... Or there were people that were hallucinating regularly. And selection, natural selection took care of that. Hmm. And with no descendants... None of us inherited those dangerous imaginations. I mean, I think to some degree you and I <laughs> have <laughs> crippling imaginations, <laughs> dangerous and uh, um, yeah, <laughs> we won't digress. But during REM sleep, the part of our brain that inhibits the vividness of imagery itself is inhibited. So the part of your brain that keeps your recollections from becoming vivid that's the discrepancy right that your body shuts down so you've developed this this resistance to the vividness of recollection and in your dream in your sleep function your body decides well we need this back and that's an interesting thing right there Mm -hmm. Give on home. Because this is a very intense conversation. <laughs> and you're and you're riveted, but people don't know. Let me do a few more and then you can <laughs> edit them, them in. Yeah, we'll definitely do that for you, uh, UBI. <laughs> um, Interesting. So what this inhibition of this inhibitory vividness perceptual thing that I just made a really fucked up sentence out of <laughs> is uh, allows memories and mental images to be released with undiminished undiminished intensity uh, as if they were waking perceptions and which is what we usually take them for when we're dreaming mistaking dreams for external reality unless we happen to be lucid that's like the norm so brain activity during lucid dreaming is equal or more active than when you're awake. Okay. And a lot of that has to do with some of the 
consciousness elements that that uh, 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 like I think the presence being self-aware elevates the activity beyond some some parts and also you're also you're generating experience instead of interpreting sensory experience i have this thing where i kind of somehow i know it probably doesn't make any sense but you start a sentence a thought exactly almost verbatim (laughs) in the ubi episode (laughs) you say i have this thought but I'm not quite ready to defend it. <laughs> like there's something about the way that dreams emerge out of your control. They kind of like... What do you mean out of your control? Like as this um, unconscious thing. A lot of it is, I think, probably generally agreed that a lot of dreams are generated from things that you've experienced recently and they may go through some kind of like filter or twist before they become a dream. They may not be represented as a one-to-one, but a lot of that is the unconscious self kind of like making things, bringing that to the conscious level that bother you, but you're not quite aware of. Yeah. Or things you notice and didn't notice. So there's something about that process that to me, it, it makes sense that it would be more vivid. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... No, but you're... you're I, I get it. Like, you're hitting... You're actually... We're going to cover some of the stuff. So I am primarily focused on the things that cover his research. He deals with the idea of consciousness in this really interesting way, which is, I think, what you're kind of trying, which is what makes it difficult to verbalize. It's Mm -hmm. There is this intangible quality to the dream state. And with his experience, what I find most... This has been formative in my understanding of perception, this book. Hmm. And that's why I wanted to, to... When we talked about the Bardo, it made me think a lot about how I perceive things and it, you know, we, we, this has become sort of the, uh, explore and expand world world views episode, but in a very real sense, I realized that, uh, Mel Gibson has a very specific worldview and we're all aware of it now. But up until we became aware of his worldview, we had no fucking idea where anything was coming from. (laughs) And I think that this is a very interesting exercise in uh, like what we're after here is very stimulating to me personally me too. because be- oh thank you <laughs> that, was, that got oddly sappy <laughs> uh, we're such good friends Seth. <laughs> I know uh, <laughs> But uh, I totally lost my train of thought. But, but like that that whole thing of like just and and I think that that's what this show that like what we're trying to do with this show and what we were trying to do with our friendship anyway was just sort of just be like 
these are these these perceptions that people have, like libertarian, uh, neoliberal, all of these things, and everybody's like, this is the right way, but like everybody is wrong because <laughs> they have to be statistically. <laughs> mm-hmm. To at some place they have to be, and that's where the Isaiah Berlin episode comes in, where he it's about moral relativism. He calls it value pluralism, and there's a debate as to whether it's the same thing as moral relativism mm-hmm. but it's an interesting idea of the uh, the the like if you take your worldview to its logical conclusion it's going to conflict with other rational rational seem seemingly rational worldviews mm-hmm. that are taken to their uh, like yeah. full conclusion i think that like i have a a good friend that i do want to have on the show because he has, he's a very smart person. He's studying law, or actually, no, he's graduated. He's I've had some very similar interactions with him. He's not an artist, but it's a similar relationship where it's just like, it's almost like let's try on ideas instead of actually like this is what I believe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, we used to joke that. His CRX race car, street race car, was, and I'm being super lame. He's going to laugh at the way that I phrase it. <laughs> I'm being super lame for the layman. But in my neighborhood, there were a bunch of Honda enthusiasts. I think three or four of them had CRXs, which is a very specific Honda car that was popular. And it's a really low to the ground car. It's kind of like a Civic hatchback, but much sharper. And it looks more like the older Hondas. Like if you look at the 80s Accords, the, mm-hmm. the, the, it's more boxy like this that. Like early 2000s. <laughs> no, <laughs> early 90s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> his whole shtick was that he was so he got so much grant money from school from being so smart that he had surplus and he funded it to he he used it to buy race car parts <laughs> for his car like he got a turbo on it painted it gunmetal gray and oh. so he had surplus grant money and so the joke was he, he wanted to make a bumper sticker that said funded by your tax dollars. <laughs> so that's kind of so like I love him, but there's like this cheeky asshole like in it's going to be great for the show. <laughs> and, and it's it would be nice. It would be fun to have like the report build up again with him. So basically, whenever I test him and we get into this rhetorical thing about libertarianism and all of that, I rationally argue with him. Until the point where it hits that wall, the value, the, the relative, uh, moral rel- relativism and value pluralism wall, where th- his arguments start to break down, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, but fuck it." <laughs> and I think <laughs> he's not an asshole. He's right. That's basically how everybody deals with their worldview. It's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> um, but let me just. Oh, sorry. Yeah, if, yeah. If you're interested. If no, you're I totally am. Okay. I totally am. Okay. So we're not gods. So we cannot, naturally, we cannot just create something for ourselves to imagine that's going to be real. But there's something about dreaming that feels like it's not actually coming from us. We're not creating it. It's like being channeled somehow. Seth, you're always on the right path. Okay. You're fucking nailing it. Cool. All right. Notice when, when we get there. So from the point of view of the brain, what seems real is as real as can be. 
And what these experiments show is that dreams are more like real experience than they are like fantasies, which breaks with Western societies that see dreams as airy nothings, devoid of meaning and reality. And we'll hit on that more, because what we're dealing with with is the mind-body problem. LeBerge believes these findings have exciting implications, particularly in the areas of philosophy, psychophysiology, and neuroscience, and theosophy. Really? No. <laughs> oh, you... <laughs> you look so disappointed. I'm so sorry, Seth. I didn't mean that the gag to be like that. I thought it was going to be not on you. All right. What we do in dreams or leave undone can at times affect us as profoundly as what we do or do not do in our waking lives. The mind-body problem is really many problems, or else a single problem that takes many forms. Among these forms is whether and how the subjective mental events of the dream and the objective physical events occurring in the dreamer's brain are connected, which is what all of this is about, right? Mm -hmm. Because what they're doing is trying to find that link. Our research indicates that dream events are closely paralleled by brain events. The extent to which this model will provide an accurate picture of reality remains a goal for future research. So all of this stuff is still somewhat speculative because it is not necessarily the most, it is not a pseudoscience by any means, but it's, there's definitely like, this is considered, or he is legit. He's clear about what is science and what isn't science, but when you read a book like this, it's easy to jumble that shit up in your in your head and yeah. not really know like what is legitimate and what's not. Mm -hmm. So it is they're dealing with consciousness, and this is a very difficult topic to approach because consciousness is subjective, right? Mm -hmm. And so. It's basically one of the many ways that they're approaching understanding what consciousness is. And that's what I find really interesting about sort of just the phenomenon of lucid dreaming. I think when you talk to scientists, I, or I'll, I'll put it like this. I don't talk to scientists, <laughs> so I won't put it like that. When you watch scientists on the episode about there's an episode and they bring up lucid dreams on bill nye's bill nye tries to save the world i know it's problematic i know but they're very excited about lucid dreaming as a phenomenon so this is like a legitimate thing this is not some pseudoscience mm -hmm. this is in fact as we talked about in the last episode without lucid dreaming we wouldn't know as much as we know about dreams and, and the dream state. So what they have been able to establish is that the model at this point seems to rule out the dualistic conception of dreaming. The idea that when you're dreaming, your soul enters another realm and it flies around freely in that dream state. That notion, this research debunks that. Hey guys. If you had fun, feel like you learned something, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe, all of that really helps us. We're at What's My Thesis, at Javier Proenza, and at Seth Lauer on Instagram. <laughs>